Hello and welcome to the Write Your Life podcast. This week I'm joined again by my uh, fast-becoming trusty sidekick, Donna Sorensen. Hello, Donna. Hi. Poet, copywriter, etc. sidekick. Yeah, indeed. Oh. Um, I like that guy off Alan Partridge. What's he called? He's called no, the Mid-Morning Matters. He's called Psychic Simon. Oh, yeah. He's amazing. That makes me Alan Partridge as well, which is uh, quite exciting. <laughs> you people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually, I, I find myself quoting Alan Partridge. The, the, old, the older I get, it's 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 well over a decade since I watched the, you know, since I'm Alan Partridge came out, and the some of the uh, they're not really punchlines, but some of the uh, dialogue from that is just part of my everyday life, which is tragic in every possible way. Well, not just part of your life, but um, poor old Steve Coogan. I think it's part of his life as well. I, I just heard him interviewed about his new film, and they were just saying, you know, oh, Alan, you know, strains of Alan Partridge there and everything. And he's like, it's not Alan Partridge; it's just me. <laughs> well, there is an Alan Partridge film as well, of course, coming out. Have you seen that? No. It's called um, Alpha Papa. Oh. And okay. A, you should find. You should look for the trailer on um, on uh, the internet because it's good. Anyway, for those of you in America who may never have heard have never heard of Alan Partridge. <laughs> That's well, a good chance to to find out who Alan Partridge is. Investigate, investigate. It's very funny, yeah. very uh, very well known British comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, right, okay. Today we are going to be talking, very well written as well, very uh, unbelievably sharply written as all sort of Coogan, Ianucci things are. Anyway, um, what the hell are we talking about? We're talking about um, uh, envy. So I recorded a vlog last uh, week about author envy. And I, I said vlogger envy as well, but that was just to make it because because it was partly it wasn't just about the fact that um, authors get jealous of other authors. It's kind of it's an inherent thing I think uh, with with uh, with with not just being an author but also being on just being on the internet. So everyone wants more subscribers. Everyone wants more page views, but uh, in a, in a kind of a more writing type sense. Um, and what got me thinking about this was this idea of author envy. So I recorded this video, and I was prompted to do this by the um, unbelievable fact that I was not one of Granter's 20 best British authors under 20, sorry, under 40, and definitely not, <laughs> definitely not under 20. Oh, no. Um, uh, under 40. And, um, and, and I, I spent about three or four days thinking about it. I mean, I should get this straight. I knew that I wasn't going to be on, and I never expected for a single second that I would be on that list. I get this absolutely clear. I'm not sort of devastated and kind of surprised in any way whatsoever. But, the, but, but it did get me thinking, partly because it was my last year. I mean, this is, for those that don't know, this is a very privileged kind of list. It, it's only put together every 10 years by Granta Magazine. And, um, and the people that are on that list have historically gone on to have very successful careers. Um, yeah, and you won't qualify age-wise next time. You better say that because you did say, this is my last year. It sounded a bit... Um, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like, so you were that, so devastated that you were planning something next year. Yes, so this was part of my upset of the fact that I realised I would actually be over 40 the next time that this, this comes around. But one of, the things, one of the things I thought about, and I'm not sure if this is really about envy, but um, one of the things I think is difficult when you're a writer so you can be unpublished published self-published doesn't really matter um one of the things that is quite difficult is 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 to just is to realize that you uh, where you are positioned amongst your contemporaries and this is something i've talked about loads on the on the podcast the fact that you have to think about who your contemporaries are so what writers write in the same genre as you or 
have a similar sort of style, maybe the same age, just, you know, just knowing who your contemporaries are, who's writing at the moment, which is something that I do kind of I do. Kind of do. But it was only when the Grantalist came around and I realised that I kind of... I, I suddenly realised, well, obviously I'm not going to be on this. And, and at first I thought, well, that, that's fine, I'm not, going, I'm not going to be on this list. And then I thought, well, hang on, what... I'm not. I'm not going to be on this list. This is not good. This is not something I should just accept. I should be angry. Well, angry. I should be kind of affected by this. I should think, oh no, this is my last chance to be on the Granta list because I'll never be on that list now. And I've kind of almost forgotten that I am a contemporary of lots of people who have got lots of industry recognition, who who are authors that you've heard of. For example, my novel *Aes Frangelica* has been um, compared in terms of style to Mark Haddon's *Curious Incidents*. Um, of the dog in the night time I'm not saying that my novel is as good or as popular of course it's not as popular but we are he is a contemporary in the sense that he's writing now and writing a similar type of fiction and yet I don't really I don't really think about it like that and maybe it's because I'm caught up with all these blooming babies and a full time job and all this kind of thing that I don't think of myself in that way but I well, think when, when you actually when you were writing Ace Frangelica back way in the day yeah mm. Did you have the Grantalist in mind? Or not even Ace Frangelica, but when you decided seriously that you wanted to be a writer and you started working on things, was it something you had in your mind back then? The Grantalist wasn't, but I've always, I've always said that... The, it's, it's often been the case when people ask me why I wouldn't self-publish, and I've always said I want to be on Radio 4 with Mark Lawson on Front Row. I want to be up for the Booker Prize. I want, to, I want those things. So I have always... Not, not in a cocky way, but I've always thought, well, if you're going to aim for something, aim fairly high. Yeah. And um, so I have al- always thought of in those terms, you know, kind of why not? Yeah. But then it, it just sort of hit me when I when I realised that not only am I not going to be on this list, two things. First of all, I'm not even being talked about, and and you know, my my, my you know, Frangelic isn't anywhere near the equation. Never mind in it. Um, and and secondly, I was kind of ac- accepting that. I was kind of, I just assumed, and I was fine with it. And it was only when I started to think about it, I thought, um, well, you know, I should be upset by this. Well, you know, I'm not going to get this chance again. It's, an, it's a significant prize or award or, or, or thing in the industry, and it's not going to happen to me. And and I should get angry about that. But, of course, one of the things I did get was, was uh, slightly envious of the people that were on the list, which is what got me to thinking about the topic of author envy and how the grass is always greener, which is a much wider topic than that. But that's where it came from. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, understandable, completely understandable. But it's funny because when I, I, I do enter the National Poetry Competition every year and um, I'm, I'm not flawed when I don't win it, but it's interesting to read, whenever I read the poems that have won... I'm always like, oh, okay. I mean, God, that's so. That's why I didn't win, you know. And, and, and I'm, I, I guess I don't think I'm envious, but more just kind of like trying to understand why and hope. Because I know things like competition writing is a completely different kettle of fish to you know um, to other types of writing and things like that. And there's only certain types of poems that win competitions. So it's just it's, it's fascinating for me. Um, I know it's not not the same when you're writing fiction and things like that, but. Um, but yeah, you just have you know you get used to rejection, don't you? <laughs> well, you do, but I think maybe maybe part of what I'm saying, and I'm, and I'm figuring this out as I'm saying it, maybe part of what I'm saying is that writers get so used to rejection that they don't expect to do well, or that they just assume that they're not going to be up for the big prizes. Yeah, totally. Um, 
but it's such a hard slog, though. I mean, you know, you start out. I, there can't be that many writers that are getting, you know, enormous book deals with their first manuscript that they haven't even spent that much time editing or mulling over, you know. I mean, I can't imagine there are that many. Well, even if- somebody who's got one on their first manuscript, a big book contract, you know. I mean, they, they you know, it's this amazing amount of time they put into writing it. It's, it's barely any. I mean, it just you know that that barely ever happens anymore. That people would get a huge advance for their first, for the first or second or third books these days. And it does it doesn't kind of happen, which does make. And we are all in the same boat, and that's exactly how I feel. It's how I felt for ages. It's kind of why I do this podcast because I don't consider myself especially above or below any other writer. It's just you know, I write my thing, you write yours, and you know, let's call the whole thing off. Hmm. But, um, well, I mean, do you know you know Lena Dunham who um, has written Girls? Oh, for right, yeah, yeah. HBO, and, and she's just um, signed some kind of enormous book deal with millions of dollars involved for her first book. Um, fair play to her. She's the most amazing writer. You know, Girls is absolute. No, it's a phenomenon. You know. Mm. Um, and I guess I thought about her being a contemporary because she was a woman, and then I'm like, oh my god, no, scrap that. She is like. 10 years younger than I am and um, she's just like you know it's like a prodigy this is a young girl well I mean she's I guess early 20s I don't actually know how old she is um, who's done this it's just I kind of feel like people like that are a bit untouchable you know you're talking about contemporaries and, and, and placing yourself amongst people that you feel do similar things I think sometimes you're right we need to like aim a bit higher because I kind of imagine there's these untouchable writers that are just people that you'll never be and never be like that, you know? Yeah. But, and, and it could, and it could happen to anyone. So if it, um, I, I'm not, uh, Ace for Angelica is published by the Marvelous Legend Press, um, who oui. is a, <laughs> who is, um, a, um, you know, an independent, um, uh, publisher. Um, and, um, so not one of the big, um, five or six, I forget how many there are these days. Um, and well, they're all merging, aren't they? This... Exactly. I think it's just one sort of big blob <laughs> of, uh, of, a, of a sort of publishing house. Um, so published published by Legend, who are exactly uh, um, exactly like someone like Salt, who had um, the Lighthouse by um, Alison Moore. I hope I said those things right. I've got a funny feeling that I've said that wrong. Um, no. Yeah, that's yeah. right, isn't it? It's the name. Um, a brilliant, absolutely uh, fantastic book, and uh, ended up being nominated for the Booker, and came from a publishing house just like the one that that I have. So there's no reason why my novel couldn't have been on those lists, and it may have happened to me. Maybe, may, maybe if uh, my novel my, my novel was reviewed by has been reviewed by uh, the Daily Mail and Time Out, it's been reviewed by national publications, and maybe if it had been reviewed by a couple of more, the right person saw it at the right time, that could have been me. Who knows? I mean, it's not. I'm not saying that my book deserves to be nominated for the Booker by, by any stretch. I'm not. I'm not kind of saying anything other than there's an awful lot of luck in the publishing industry. So, we talk uh, about but there's, there's luck, and then there's money, money, money as well. I mean, I think it's uh, having worked in publishing companies. I the first time I realised how much money you have to put into a book if you want it to be yes. seen. I was flabbergasted. Like just even you know stuff like shelf placements in bookshops. I had no idea you had to pay for stuff like that. Mm. I was so naive, you know. Recommended summaries. I, could, I thought, okay, yeah, I can totally understand that. You know, maybe that's that's like a promotion. But just things like you know our staff members' favourite books or whatever. I mean, literally, you end up you just have to pay 
your way for absolutely everything. And it's the same, you know, I mean, all this talk about paying for good reviews and all this kind of stuff as well. I mean, money does talk in with books. It still does because it's, you know, it's so difficult to get shelf space or, or computer screen space in front of people's faces. Well, yeah, no question. And I, and I think actually that's probably one of the things that people are most um, uh, envious about probably is not, not necessarily, excuse me, a bit of Windy Pops. Um, <laughs> sorry, live on air. Hold on, are you sure you qualified for Granta this time? Like? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's my problem. You never hear Salman Rushdie having windy pops in the middle of a podcast, do you? <laughs> no, he's, no, most certainly do not. He does not pass wind. He's one of my untouchables. I didn't pass wind. Well, I suppose I did. I mean, okay, <laughs> this is very much top floor. It wasn't. Anyway. I get it. Um, where, what was it talking about? Salman Rushdie, windy pops, <laughs> Granta. What was I saying? <laughs> can't believe you've lost your train of thought just because you had a bit of windy pops. Okay. <laughs> I've got it, I've got it. So um, one of the things people are most envious about, I think, is not that a writer has been offered a huge advance, because you know, I, I think, generally speaking, people don't know what advances other author, authors have got. But yeah. you can usually see when someone's got a pretty tidy marketing budget behind their book. And, yes. um, and you always think, ah, damn it, I wish, the <laughs> I wish yeah. mine was on a side of a bus or something like that. Um, so yes, I think that is one thing, but uh, maybe to take the conversation in a slightly different way. If I was someone who hadn't got, I mean, I'm sat here as a published author, um, very happy about that, very pleased, but aren't I blooming moaning? Aren't I sat here moaning? Think of all the you writers. really are. You know, I haven't got a book published and I kind of feel like I'm sitting on the other side of the fence where like, I'm just like, oh, I'm just so pleased for everyone that's nominated ever for prizes because they're just so amazing. Whereas you're like, God damn it! And yeah, you know, maybe that's that's just what happens when you get published. You you want the next thing, and and you know, we'll never ever be satisfied. Well, this was the point I was making in my vlog. Um, the grass is always always greener. So absolutely, mm-hmm. before I was published, wow, I was envious of all those people who have publishing deals, and then now that I'm published, oh, I'm envious of all those people who are winning prizes and that kind of thing, and who have huge marketing budgets. And that will always be the case. I'm sure that there is something. That some, something somewhere that J.K. Rowling is absolutely furious about, <laughs> completely envious. She can't, she can't believe it. I don't really know what that would be. But well, I mean, I, I heard that she, she, um, she didn't want to read the reviews of her novel. No. no. I mean, it's, I guess there's always something, isn't there? Do you know one thing I, I hate hearing is my mum complaining to me um, about the response to her newest manuscript or whatever. I just keep looking at her and saying, Mum, please, you've had about 27 books published. How can you still... And she also, you know, she talks about um, feeling like this next manuscript's not good enough or whatever. And it's amazing to see. I don't. I feel like it's just my mum. That's the way my mum is. But it could be that people that, you know, um, have many, many, many books and long you know, careers as authors and publishing and all that kind of stuff, they, they always have this kind of self-doubt. Yes, we should probably explain who uh, who your mum is, and I don't. I, I, you know, imagine exactly. someone's listening to this for the first time; they probably don't realise our relationship either. <laughs> so, mid, midway through the podcast, we must say that Donna is my sister-in-law. She's also a wonderful poet and has worked in the publishing industry for a few years. And you were you were bred by Catherine White, who is a widely published children's author, and she's my <laughs> mother-in-law, who does wonderful, wonderful meals in. Uh, Sets. <laughs> oh, 
my God. High so, praise again, indeed, Ian, from you, amongst other things. Being a, uh, yes, having about 30 books to her name, she's also a really good cook. Yep. Yes. <laughs> was that sexist? It wasn't supposed to be sexist. I, didn't genu- say I did not say that. She she's is genuinely good cook. She's my, my favourite cook. I think she's the best ever. But anyway, side of that, yes. So the grass is always greener, but also, you know, that's the thing about having a, having a passion for something. You're never going to be satisfied necessarily with what you've done because you always feel like, what's the next thing and, and how can I do this better? Yes, it's completely true. And, um, and That's why you should aspire for these big prizes all the time. Otherwise, you know, what's yes. the point? Yes, and, and I guess I had two, two, the reason I want to talk about this, because I kind of, in thinking about this over the last sort of three weeks or so, the two con- conclusions that I came to um, were, first of all, this idea that the grass is always greener, and actually what you should do is just focus on your own stuff. So you can get completely caught up in the world of envy and constantly worried about what someone else is doing. And this doesn't just go for... This is, this is, this is really where... I, I, I started talking about websites and you know YouTube um, subscribers and Twitter followers. Everyone's it's all about numbers. Everyone wants to get bigger, faster, stronger, like mm-hmm. Daft Punk. And um, it's just pointless. It's a pointless exercise. It's, it doesn't get you anywhere. And, um, and and it's also extremely time-consuming to worry about such small, like you know, oh look, I got two new followers today. It, it's amazing how our focus gets so narrowed. You know, we need to be thinking bigger, don't we? Really, I guess. Well, I just, think, just thinking about what is actually important. Because usually, if you if you do something, if you make good stuff, so whether that's you know a short story or a novel or a poem or like a really good blog post, if it's good and you consistently do good stuff, then usually the rewards will come, and all those other things will kind of just happen. But if you get hung up on it and just you really i mean i've done it i've done it lots and uh, the the owner founder king of 70 decibels mike hurley who um uh, who is uh, the ex-host of this podcast he wrote a fantastic blog post recently about this that he was completely hung up on the numbers and then he stopped checking them for about a month and found that he enjoyed it more um he was making better podcasts and and when he eventually did go and check the numbers they'd happened to go up at the same time as well yeah because I mean how can you be concentrating on your craft and on you know the next story or how to improve what you're writing at the at the moment if you are spending so much time thinking about you know how to market yourself online and that's the thing about envy it does it takes up mental space doesn't it even if you even if you don't yeah if you don't spend two hours trying to boost your twitter followers or dominate on linkedin then um you could easily spend those hours thinking about those things. So when you're on those times, you know, even I think this is the thing with me. So even that time that I spend in the shower or on the bus home, there have been times where instead of thinking of fantastic stories or new characters, I, I'm thinking about well, how can how can I um, how can I make sure that I blog three times this week? Yeah. And you know, it's not it's not important. Who cares? <laughs> who cares how many times I blog this week? Or who, who cares how many? How many people have viewed pages on my website this week? It's just, it's just daft. It just takes you away from what you should be doing. 
I'm just having a blooming epiphany right here. I mean, seriously. On what? What? what you why are we talking? I should be. Oh, no, no, I was going to say I should be away writing. I didn't mean that seriously. But certainly with Twitter, I need to be better at not worrying too much about it because I've only been on Twitter since like last September, October, and um, you know, I mean, it's painful. I am getting followers and everything, but I mean, if I if I spend the rest of my life looking at, up at that top left hand corner to see how many followers I've got every day, I mean, I'm just going to waste my life away. You are. It sounds awful, and <laughs> and yeah. and it doesn't matter. I mean, and I've I've been caught up in this. I mean, Twitter was, I've got I've got. I mean, I don't like to talk about yeah. it really, but I've got nearly four thousand Twitter followers. No, I know. <laughs> and uh, but Jeez. they they all they all came along within the first four or five years of being on Twitter, where I spent loads of time trying to work out how to get Twitter followers and putting a lot of effort into it. And since I stopped doing that, I've used it less. I mean, it helps when you have children and stuff that you start to use those things less anyway naturally but I started using those things less and worrying worrying about it so much and actually my follow account just goes up very very steadily fairly slowly to be honest I lose people I gain people I don't really keep track and 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 I kind of figured it it doesn't it doesn't really matter no. but have you been on to talking of author Emily have you been on to um other authors Twitter profiles to see how many followers they've got. I mean, do you care about that kind of thing? Well, not. I mean, I, I have. Come I on, do be look, well, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I suppose I look, but I, it's not something that I really. I, I'm not really. I don't really think about it. I mean, there isn't really a correlation between how many Twitter followers you have and how well your book is selling, or how certainly how good your book is. No, but certainly in terms of of. of how well you are, how well known you are. I mean, I think it's quite an interesting um, gauge for me, like with poets and things like that, to see the big names, the big name poets, how many followers they've got. And also the different types of poets. Like, you know, a lot of like really strong performance poets have loads more followers mm. and things like that. But I think it's quite an interesting gauge, I find it anyway. But again, it's, it's, it might be slightly obsessive. Maybe I'm, you know... But there's, it's also probably because they're better at social media and, and, and they do, as in, in and, as in the in the sense that they actually enjoy doing it and they they actively take part in it and care about it more it doesn't necessarily mean that i'd like to think that it's because of the things they're doing in their real lives are boosting their online you know personas and and people that are following them online are coming to them via the things that they're doing out in the real world as much as you know sitting there and writing back to someone saying oh hello yeah how are you? I'm, I'm here. Do you want to follow me? Well, there is that. I mean, I find, I found that kind of working in the design industry. I mean, I have a weird, a weird audience, really, online, uh, in the sense that... <laughs> sorry, I need, to, I need to offend everyone listening. But uh, <laughs> weird in the sense that I'm aware that there are loads of people who know about me through writing and through Write for Life and all that sort of thing. Then there is another load of people who probably know me probably through work, so uh, my time as a, in my time working at a design agency and and in the design industry, but then there's also this kind of tech audience that I picked up through read and trust and seventy decibels and all all that kind of thing. Mm. So it's 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 difficult. Nothing's ever as it seems, and I just keep coming back to the point that it doesn't. None of these things really matter. I mean, they do kind of matter. I suppose the more people who are interested in your work and the more people who follow you, the more people might end up buying your book or being interested in what you do. But in mm. terms of in terms of attention, focusing on those numbers just doesn't get your book written, and that's kind of the main thing. 
that's it. I mean, we're talking about the after the after the event, aren't we? Like seriously, it's great to to be using all the tools you can to 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 get word out about a book. But I mean, we need to be focusing on on what we're doing as well on the writing. Actually, you know, Alison Moore, this thing about the lighthouse, I find that really interesting for two reasons. One is that for me, she's a great, like, in terms of contemporary, she's not necessarily a contemporary of mine, she's writing fiction, but I found out that she wrote The Lighthouse while she was on maternity leave, and I was flabbergasted. That is quite something, to have written a Booker-nominated novel while raising a child in their first few months. Mm. That is amazing. So that, that, But that's also really motivating to me, because I'm on maternity leave at the moment, and I'm like, well, hey, you know, it's not just about sick and poo, you can actually sit down and, and think some decent thoughts and get stuff down on paper. Um, and the other thing was that Salt Publishing, I think they've been really good online, like with Twitter. Yeah. I, I know that I obviously would have heard about The Lighthouse because of the, the Booker stuff, but just the buzz about it on Twitter I felt was really good as well. And um, But it, but it, they made it seem like kind of like a people's book. I don't know whether... I haven't actually read The Lighthouse and I really would like to, but they made it seem like it was a book of the people. You know, it's just like... As though Alison Moore's just like one of us, a normal person, whereas sometimes the booker can be a bit like, you know, these untouchables that I was saying about earlier, you know? Mm. Yeah, so I think they, they did really well with that. I mean, I, I agree with you. They, they, they were very good and they continue to be very good um, um, online and, and, and really pushing, still pushing that, that book as well. I mean, I guess if you have a success story like that, then you're bound to. It's a great book. It's, uh, it is, it's really good. I wouldn't say it was a people's book in the sense that I don't think it would necessarily appeal to everyone, but I absolutely loved it. thought it was great. Cool. Well, there you go. Indeed. So we're just, the, the, the moral of all of this is that we've all got to aim high and it's good to be a little bit envious because it drives us and... Have I summed up correctly? Yeah, but that, that was that was kind of my second point. Is that I, I just spent quite a lot of time kicking myself first for being envious, and then kicking myself for not aiming high enough, and and and, and I just sort of ended up sort of booting myself around in a in a circle. I don't know how that's possible, but it happened. <laughs> Yeah, totally. Whereas I've just been sitting there looking at my Twitter followers and just being really happy for everyone and not being interested at all. <laughs> it's a fine line, isn't it? It's a fine line. It's, it's... I think it's the published, non-published thing. I guess, you know, you just the only thing you can be envious of to start with is people that are published. That is the first big goal to aim for. And then after that, just, you know, go for it. Yeah. Nobel Prize, why not? And the, and, the, and, the, and the grass is always greener. I know I've used that phrase a number of times, but the grass is always greener. And that's not just about unpublished, published. It's really, it's absolutely the case in self-publishing as well. So we have all these fantastic success stories in self-publishing that we hear about. And in reality, the number of people who aren't success stories in self-publishing is huge, exactly the same as it is in traditional publishing. And mm. the grass always seems greener. It always seems like someone is doing amazingly well. But quite often, it's not. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. not. The, 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 what you see online and what you see, um, uh, uh, I don't know, whenever you, you, you never truly know someone, do you? And um, especially, <laughs> especially... Oh, my God. <laughs> but you don't. You, That's wrong now. What's going on? <laughs> you never truly know. And you tr- never truly know. You can't just make judgments based on someone's Twitter profile as to how well they're doing or how happy they are with the oh, level of success that they have. You never truly know. You can, you know even if someone says, woohoo, just reached 3,000 subscribers, they might be furious that it's not 4,000. And, um, and, you know, there's no use getting caught up in all of that. You just have to focus on doing what you do and, you know, trying to do the best you can with whatever it is that you are uh, pursuing. How happy are you with 
that piece, Hilary Mantel, just quickly, do you reckon? I imagine she is somewhere between delighted and running around screaming and shouting with joy. Do you think so? I don't know. I'd be interested to know. Maybe she's fairly pleased, I would have thought. Yeah, but I mean, I wonder whether she's just like locked away, furiously thinking about like writing the next book, or whether she's just uh, lying, you know, kicking back with a G and T and just thinking, ah, that's it, done it. Well, writers panic. With the writers envy, then there's then there's the panic of having to try and achieve the um, same level of success. Um, yeah. Maybe that's next week's uh, topic. <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, we've witted on there for about twenty-five minutes or so. So, um, um, I'm sorry if that I uh, talked at you a lot, there, Donna. I apologise. No, you didn't. It was. I, I liked it. Um, being talked, spoken to. Well, so, no, not spoken to. Not, I mean, talked at. I know what you mean. Mm-hmm. Okay, Sue, where can people find you online? They can find me on Twitter. Um, I'm going to say it again just by searching for me, but then also Don underscore S underscore Sorensen, and I really am going to change that because that's ludicrous. That's long. And I thought it gives people way less characters to write something interesting to me, doesn't it? Well, of course. What an interesting way of thinking about it. I'm just going to call myself Don S. <laughs> nice. Don's. No, yeah, do, yeah, okay, yeah, Don's, but with a, a slash or something. Anyway, whatever, just, just you know. Well, people can find you, and you can find people me can find on Twitter. I'd, I'd be delighted if they found me on Twitter, because then I can, you know, sit there and look at the numbers going up in the top left-hand corner. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm Ian Broom on Twitter, I-A-I-N-B-R-O-O-M-E, and you can find the blog of the podcast, um, which is basically my website, at Ian Broom. Dot com. Thank you all for listening and um, thank you, Donna, for joining us and we shall speak to you soon. Thanks, Ian. Bye.